Hello and welcome back to the Second Row Recap Podcast. This week we're talking about Round 17B of the Pro 14 and the Champions Cup semi-finals. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Acast and pretty much all the podcasting apps. My name is Port Kelly and always I am joined by Ushin Collins. Yeah, in voice if not in spirit. It's been a rough day for you, alright? Yeah, yeah. Good weekend for Irish rugby right up until, you know, the kickoff of the Munster game. Uh, and the following 20 minutes were pretty grim. Yeah, well, this week we'll start with the Pro 14 matches, move on to the European semi-finals, and finish as always with our top performer and clown of the round. So, Ulster and Glasgow. Yeah, um, skipping, I guess, to the Irish interest Pro 14 game. Uh, an interesting match here, and a bit of a nervy game from both sides, but I think what really told her was just how much more Ulster wanted and needed this result than Glasgow did. Um, really made the difference. Uh, certainly the opening 10 minutes was all Ulster. You know, I know they came out 36-15 on top, but that next 15-20 was all Glasgow and they could have really pushed on to win that. You know, two big moments, well, for me, were were the winning of the match for Ulster. A no try, that was literally a blade of grass from being scored. And I think Dunbar did enough. I think he made the line there. I don't think the angles helped whatsoever, but... I think nine times out of ten, that is a try. So a little bit unfortunate. And then, to be fair to Ulster, they, they kind of wrestled back control of the game after that. And Hugh Jones got injured for Glasgow, which disrupted their back line. I mean, Greg is a good player, but he's, he's not in the same level of class. That all came from a huge defensive shift from Ulster and a huge hit by Stockdale on Hugh Jones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think Stockdale and... Tommy Bow when he came on and a couple of other players were just putting in monstrous hits all over the park. Go back to the try that put Ulster into the lead in the first place. Just really good awareness from Cooney, but uh, Glasgow's back row asleep off that scrum. Like that is open side one oh one of how not to defend a scrum on your own five meter line. He just wasn't looking up. How can you have your head down in that situation? Well I mean Cooney isn't exactly the big Connor Murray scrum half type build who can, you know, run you over. So if he's awake to it, he catches him and he scrags him before the line. And even looking at the break, if he if his head was up, that's he's being caught. You know, it's just terrible defending. Now he made good for it. I mean, that try for Glasgow, he just broke through that line, he just strolled through and um, went in under the post. Well, it was a, it was um for me that is a case of two tries with two appalling pieces of defending, like Kane and Timney literally falling over each other. I'd say he was the light. The Glasgow 7 was delighted to look up and see like, oh, they're on the ground. I'm going to go forward now. But I suppose they came back at 10-0 and then some clever play for Ulster, kicking their penalties, keeping the scoreboard moving over, which they haven't been doing in previous weeks. I mean, if you look at the performance last week when, you know, it it took them the whole game to to be three points up and eventually get a try in the last minute, turning down kickable opportunities for goal. The decision-making and the composure was an awful lot better this week. Yeah, like it is the old adage of win the game first, and they they decide they tried to do that anyway before going for that bonus point. And again, I mean, a, a couple of good moments. I mean, you mentioned that hit from from Stockdale, but like some of his play with the ball himself and Piatau interlinking again, and like, every time he touches the ball, like that home crowd goes ballistic. Oh, they just there's an, and rightfully so because he is such a great talent. They just expect something good from him all the time, be it a try or a gain line break or a try scoring pass, you know, something. And he usually delivers. Like in a game manage in a game sense, the the penalty that um 
Ulster scored on 42 minutes after Glasgow kicked a touch after an Ulster penalty. That was, that's their game swingers, their game changers. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because you were watching this game on time delay and like the text you sent me kind of sums it up, which was, how are Glasgow going to manage to lose this? Because at halftime, you'd still put money on them with the first team, given that they're the league leaders, being able to come out and, and close the game out. But it's like, it's not even the team they put out. They were still making yards for fun in the Ulster half. You know, they were breaking the game line. They are getting around them. Like, Ulster were in the game by almost by Glasgow's lack of um, wherewithal than their own play. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm a Glasgow fan, I'm actually a little bit worried at this stage because what we saw in the second half was Ulster were able to, to ratchet it up a gear. Uh, they were able to take their opportunities and they did so very well and very clinically but Glasgow just fell away from it and you know when you're coming into the, the sharp end of the season you want to have your team firing on all cylinders you want to be taking all your opportunities what you don't want is to be you know going away from home to a, a dubious Ulster side and losing I mean if, if you have a look at Glasgow's record in the Pro 14 since January they've only beaten Zebra, Connacht and the Cheetahs like, this is not where you want to be coming into knockout rugby. Now, if you're going into quarterfinal, semi-final territory, you need to be winning matches, winning well, and stamping a bit of the authority that you are worthy of being title contenders, and they're not doing that. No, and I mean, likely is not what's going to happen is the Scarlets are going to beat the Cheetahs and then go to Scottsdale with, you know, with it, without anything else to worry about. Their focus is, is uniquely on this game, and... I think Glasgow could get caught cold here really badly. Especially given uh, Scarlet's knockout of Europe, I think they'll be smarting as well. So I would hate to be anyone who kind of who comes up against them as the season goes on. And let's not forget, they're the defending champions. So, I mean, they want to they wanna turn out and win back-to-back titles. That's, that, that's got to be the target. I mean, you can't look to disimprove in the previous season. So it'll be interesting to see when it happens. But I really, I don't think Glasgow... Uh, will be pleased with this. I think Ulster will be delighted because now they're safe. Uh, and that was the big risk, you know. Yeah, they have that playoff spot now secured. They will be playing Ospreys in a few weeks' time. But, like, some of the stuff in the second half from Ulster was nice. You know, McCloskey had a great game. Like, for one of the tries, he drew four men to give uh, Timoney that space to score in the corner. He is very big, though. He is very big. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, between that and, like, Stockdale and Piotr running down the lines, Stockdale, only only because there had been an infringement, denied another intercept try. It's brilliant, though. Like I'd say defence coaches love him because he just reads the ball and reads the situation so well defensively that he's doing this on like, a constant basis. This isn't fluke now at this stage. This is just how he reads the game. Yeah, his instincts are, are phenomenal. I mean, it's a, re- it's a real, like we've said in the last couple of weeks, but it continues to be a real strength of Ulster is their back line and... You know, kind of a nice a nice send-off for Tommy Bow with the game as well. Good to see the crowd awarding that. And nice to see the crowd connecting with the players again. I mean, it's been a really rough season for Ulster. But, like, that's nothing he doesn't deserve. You know, he has been an incredible player for Ulster and Ireland, and he deserves a good send-off from that crowd. Absolutely. Cooney as well. I, I hadn't realised that he was the top point scorer. In his debut season with Ulster, he's racked up 200 points. Like, that's, that's a decent haul for... Um, even for your kind of first choice place kicker. Yeah, I know he's he's scoring tries as well on top of the the points from the from the boot. And as a monster man yourself, you know having a a try scoring scrum half just 
it's one of those things that I think is a kick in the teeth for the opposition with the scrum half just popping up for those tries every now and again. I tell you what, it'll be criminal if he doesn't tour Australia this summer. Cooney at the moment beats beats Marmion and beats McGrath hands down. Yeah. I guess weaknesses probably still a little bit ragged on their transition from attack to defence. Yeah, like looking for that final try even, they were just panicked. They knew the score. You know, they knew they needed that one more try to secure that playoff spot. And it just looked so ragged and panicked and and again, I suppose at, at that point they'd lost Cooney to um to the concussion bin, which is a factor. That is true. Like, you know, I didn't expect a bonus point win with Marshall playing for 14 minutes, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, it was um, certainly a, a, a win that they wouldn't have banked on looking at it at halftime. Like, for me as well, though, their their mall defence was poor. And I mean that in the contact sense, you know, in the um, they were being forced back quite a lot. They gave up some yards, but they did manage to force, I think, three knock-ons in Maldi like where the Glasgow players just got got run into each other, it got disrupted and dropped the ball and knocked it forward. So I'm not so, not so sure that was as, a, as big of a minus as you might think. Like, uh, like say, if you look forward to the, to the playoff, like, not, let's forget next week, because their focus should be the playoff. Mm-hmm. Osprey's mall is a lot more structured than Glasgow's was last night, and they will leak points from that. Yeah, it's certainly something to watch out for. I think their pack were better again, though, this week. And I mean, for me, that's how they... That's how they kick on and close out this season on a high. They just need to keep doing what they've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Definitely, and they're like the own and the big thing to keep to make sure they have any chance going forward is hoping that Cooney's concussion isn't a long term thing or you know even a few weeks job because that'll play, that'll take him out of the game the rest of the season. Yeah, and you kind of got to hope he's there next week. It'll be um, it'll be it'll be a real shame to to have to go into the playoffs without him. Definitely. So one other game in the Pro 14 this week. Um, the Italian fixture, Zebra against the Ospreys, and a bit of a shock result. Uh, yeah, Zebra won 37 14, but like going through the team sheets, Osprey sent the bees. It's just another statement that you cannot afford, particularly in Italy, to, to send out a weakened side and expect to get points. Like the Ospreys were lucky they didn't need to win this game. Yeah, and like you don't want to, also, if you're going into a one off knockout match, you don't want to be um, coming off a losing streak either, you know, like. Next week, that could be two games in a row, then trying to get yourself up for a one-off game to win. That is an, an ideal situation. Well, particularly, you look at the game last week and they had a strong team out, and now it's a weak team, and then next week it'll be a strong team because it's Judgment Day, it's in the, it's in the Millennium Stadium, you've got both Welsh Derbys back-to-back. Uh, they're not going to put out a weakened team there. They're going to want to give any of their departing players a good send-off. So like, why, why bother with that much disruption of your squad? Like... You know, being 22-0 down at 23 minutes is just shocking. No, and I mean, I think only because this game literally meant nothing to either team, like other than the pride of taking a scalp. But I mean, it's, it's been great from Zebra's perspective. They've turned around and they've won. I, I don't think Zebra have ever won six games in a season. Like they have as many wins as Connacht do. And if Zebra win next week and we lose, we're bottom of that conference. Well, I mean, if you look at it this way, if you talk about a ladder system, like they're already ahead of, obviously, the Kings, but they're ahead of the Dragons. And as you say, if they win next week, they'll be within a couple of points of the Ospreys and ahead of Connacht. Like, that's that's a result for Zebrae for a season. Yeah, like, both Italian teams have really built this year. Benetton more than Zebrae, but, you know... Well, Benetton have won as many games as the Cheetahs and the, and the Blues. Like, they're only, they're only two games behind Munster, for goodness sake. Yeah, the conference system really screwed them. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they didn't have a good time. And I know it's funny because we're calling this kind of episode 17B or round 17B. These could have been two very different games if they'd happened, you know, a month ago when the 
competition was still live. Especially for Benetton, because they're now looking at Ulster winning a match that in February, I don't think they're winning. And that makes that conference a whole different kettle of fish coming down to one game left next week instead of, you know, Benetton with effectively nothing to play for. Yeah, it's unfortunate, I think, from Benetton's perspective. They were they're one, uh, one serious snowstorm away from European rugby next year. Yeah, or the or the chance of it anyway. Absolutely. Um, so that was all that we had in the Pro 14 this week. But obviously two two big Pro 14 heavy games to deal with in the European Champions Cup. So uh, first up on Saturday was Leinster against Scarlets. And my God, were Leinster 100% in the right frame of mind for this match. Like, f- talk about focused. They didn't let Scarlets play. And, like, I mean, Scarlet's put a bit of respectability on the scoreline in the last play of the game, but 38-16 is... That's not a respectable scoreline. <laughs> well, exactly. It's about as emphatic as you see in a European semi-final. Like, it's just... They just hammered them. Like, they physically bet Scarlet's. You know, it was very... It was impressive. i got to say, it was impressive to watch. Like, uh, again, what Scarlet's had going for them was, you know, the halfpenny is, is so reliable. He was going to take points, but... The, the rest of their team just never clicked. Like Leinster were, were performing, their their forwards were just blowing Scarlets off the ball. Their back line just looked so incredibly efficient on the ball and so creative as well. And do you know what the actually scary thing is about that first twenty five minutes? They left so many points behind. Yeah, they could have been high they could have had an even bigger lead at that stage. Like I'd say themselves their decision making wasn't the best at times, you know, they kept it tight when they could have gone out wide, things like that. But if they fix those issues going forward, like they're almost the, the perfect team. Yeah, <laughs> no, they're, they're they're phenomenal. I mean, there there was players throughout that team. Their lineup was extraordinary. Like, the set piece in general was was pretty good. Like there was a bit of an edge for Scarlets in the scrum, but Leinster's Mall were their um, their work at the breakdown. Their lineup was exceptional. Everything they did almost turn to gold yeah yeah they, they, everything was going right for them even like uh, Ryan's try any other day he's kind of held in that but he's not so up he gets goes again well it's funny because I think Gibson Park is a bit of a he's a bit like the canary in the coal mine like when when Leinster's pack and the Leinster team are struggling he'll look absolutely dreadful but he looked like the best scrum half in the world which he's not so that just tells you how dominant Leinster were all over the park yeah, no, it's really funny. I was listening to the um the Sexton interview post match, and there was a point where Lammer got a ball in the second half in front of ten Scarlets defenders, and he still stepped three of them, and like there was a word going, "Did you call for that ball?" And Lammer goes like, "Yeah, I did," you know, and I'm in my head, I'm like, "But why did Park pass it?" You know, Park's a person who should kind of go, "Oh, look, the overlaps on the other side." Yeah, like I said, <laughs> but they scored. They took their tries really well. Actually, the lead up to that Ryan try. If anyone but McFadden gets that ball... If James Lowe got that ball in that position, he scores the try without needing another phase of play, you know? No, definitely. He goes over it just by pure pace. It's the one thing that Leinster's wingers were missing in that first half was that pure out-and-out pace. Yeah, it was a gorgeous pass, though. Like, Ringrose off his left hand was just... He absolutely zinged it out the line. Oh, he, he had a great game, ball in hand. Some really good passes, some lovely touches of the ball. He looked really dangerous, and... I tell you, Robbie Henshaw inside him looked absolutely lethal as well. Uh, Stuart Lancaster before the game was talking about what good shape he was in and 
it really showed. Um, I was halfway down to Galway, so I, I stopped in on that loan and watched the game in the Buccaneers clubhouse, which is where Robbie Henshaw started playing his rugby. And there was a, there was a good gang there supporting him. It was a very impressive performance from him, particularly given that it's his first game back since injured himself against Italy. He doesn't play below his top level. You know, it's quite impressive. And as every Connacht fan who listens to this will, is cries into their pint glasses watching him, because it's a, such a case of what could have been. Yeah, nah, that's fair. But uh, certainly your loss was Leinster's gain. Not the first or last time I think that's ever going to be said about a Connacht player. <laughs> Awkward pause. Um, <laughs> like, I would have been expecting a better performance from Scarlet. So we talked this game up as, as looking to be fiercely competitive. But, you know, they just... They didn't get a sniff at this. They were out-muscled, they were out-thought, they were outplayed um, in every facet of the game. Reading and listening to everything running up to the game, every single pundit or anyone who had anything to say about the game was saying Scarlets would score from absolutely nothing. But Leinster gave them less than nothing to work with. Absolutely. What was funny was we, t- we, t- we talked about what, you know, what Leinster needed to do to improve this week and a lot of it was focused around kind of reintegrating their internationals and their their frontline players back into the squad. I think Sexton was was superb. Like he, he ran that game from ten. He created variety. There was numbers of different passing options and, and waves of attack coming through. And he just ran the game from start to finish. Scored a lovely try. Like sold a dummy to three Scarlet's players. They all literally followed the ball and he just like drifted in behind them. It was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, as good as they were, for me, this game was one up front. Like, James Ryan is just uh, a, a freak. He's, a, he's an absolutely kind of one-in-a-generation talent. The guy is just going to be so good. And despite me saying that uh, he wasn't a match winner and, like, James Lowe should have been on the pitch, like, Scott Fardy, take a bow. You should stop saying these things. I'm not allowed to predict anything anymore because I'm, I'm rubbish. Yeah, pretty much. I forgot. I couldn't uh, think of the words to really describe how awful you were, but yeah, that's about right. <laughs> like, no, there's there's going to be no homework assignments for Leinster on uh, on video review on Monday. I don't think, apart from you know, don't let Ty Byrne run through your defensive line in the last play of the game. Yeah, he had a, a quiet enough game. He looks tired. That's I think he's played over two thousand minutes this season. Yeah, and I think the other side of it is Leinster were just very intelligent in terms of how they how they played the breakdown. Like, I think they've done a, a lot better research on how Roman Pratt refs that aspect of the game. But even if you looked how they were taking the ball into contact, it was, it was literally wave after wave of two or three players taking the ball at pace, blowing out past the rook. You know, they played very intelligently in that sense. Nope, they did. Um, roll on the rest of the season. I mean, they're going to be busy, so I think squad depth is going to be key. They're, they're going to have to rotate players in that just got, that got too many irons in the fire, but at least they do have that rest weekend. Um, during the Pro 14 quarterfinals as well. They're going to heavily rotate next weekend. Like They have nothing on the, nothing to play for, nothing on the line. So they've, their first string will effectively have three weeks off bet- between now and their next game. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how that works. And, uh, and so we come to the low light of the weekend. And like I actually thought this match was in Galway with how loud the fields are being sang. Like You do know Athenry is in Galway. Athenry is somewhere between the West Terrace and the East Terrace of Thoman Park, and I will hear no more lies about this. The actual geographical location of a song <laughs> that you sing. Yep, yep. It, 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 have you not found it? It's, it's definitely somewhere around the 22. <laughs> so, like, scoreline of 27-22 is just, it's so flattering to Munster. 
like for for the vast majority of this game, we were two or three uh, converted tries behind a racing team who just blew us off the park. Like you got beaten where typically you're strong, you know, the set piece, breakdown, intensity, like all three weren't were missing. You weren't building phases. You weren't getting over the game line. Your ball was being slowed constantly. And like you actually gave, a, like the amount of turnovers on the deck you gave away was actually quite scary. Yeah, our, our breakdown was all over the place. For, for me, the weirdest part of that is our set piece because it's, it's been so consistently good for the last number of weeks, even when there were other issues. And I don't know, I don't know what we were trying to do in the lineout. Like there was all sorts of crazy calls. The, the, there was so much variation. It's like we were trying to make sure that we were completely unpredictable, but we sacrificed playing our own game and playing to our strengths to achieve that. And and it just it didn't come off at all. Just like the last couple of weeks, such a slow start. I thought you were still in South Africa, let alone in Limerick. It was that slow. Like thirty minutes to kind of get into the game in any way, shape, or form. Just isn't good enough. Well, I mean, you look at this. Where, where is where was the intensity that we brought to the Toulon fixture? Where where was the absolute raw physical battle? Like, where was the war that we started fighting in Limerick a couple of weeks ago? Still in Limerick. Well, it wasn't anywhere else. Like attempting two drop goals when we're camped on the on the line at the time when we were only what one score down. Like madness, madness. But like it wasn't even the attempts. It was actually the type of attempts. They weren't structured attempts. They were like, all right. If a penalty coming, we'll just try the drop goal to come back. It was just panic and kick the ball. It was just lunatic. But even you're in, defensively, you're drifting far too passively. I think we got caught doing two. Th- one of we got caught between two minds in defence. So if we're going to blitz and we're going to be narrow like that, it will leave space out wide. And if that's the system, that's fine. But the blitz has to be aggressive. And like Vakatawa and Tamar were getting outside that edge so easily. Oh, it was like it was. It was too easy. I was looking through. I was like, he hasn't just stepped. Oh, he has just stepped through. And he was gone. When you get to a situation where in the first half of a European Champions Cup, your winger's going over and popping the ball to the scrum half so he can have a try as well. Like, that's, that's like, I was playing a game back in Galway and they let the number eight kick the conversion for one of the tries because they were beating us by 40 points, like in a J3 game. You know, that's that kind of showboating. But the worst thing is, that shouldn't happen. There was no, like, if you look at the back of the screen, no Munster player was busting their ass to make sure to disrupt the grounding yeah. or to make sure the pass wasn't happening. He had options. He had options of he could pass the ball to. And there wasn't a Munster jersey in sight. That, to me, is disgraceful. Yeah, not a whole lot we could have done worse there. Like, Rassing played it well. Like, Rassing built up that lead early and then just shut Munster out of the game, slowed down the ball and the breakdown and frustrated Munster all day. But it didn't look like we had much by way of, you know, ideas for how to get past them. No, your the attack from Monster, I, I couldn't really try and figure out what you were trying to do. Yeah, and I mean whatever about the, the couple of tries that Monster scored in, in the second half, which admittedly were well taken, it's a bit of an irrelevance because the game was gone and Rassing had taken the foot completely off the gas at that point. Definitely. Like in all fairness, Marshall had a try disallowed for JP Doyle's lovely positioning, which at the time when that was taken could have put a different spin on the match. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too quick to criticize him. I think it was, I think he was a good ref and I I actually hadn't realized he was bilingual as well, but it makes a huge difference for a ref to be able to communicate with players in their native language. I thought I thought they called pretty much everything pretty fairly. Oh yeah, the ref uh, like in that side of things, the game flowed really nicely as well. 
uh, even though like like something that you said last week and you've been saying for the last couple of weeks Peter was getting on his nerves at the start of the second half yeah a little bit um and I guess I think it wasn't a very JP Doyle-esque refereeing performance because I mentioned in the preview that he tends to be a little bit fussy and he was letting a good bit go with the breakdown like there was a number of times where he was warning players, warning them again, warning them a third time. Like the fact that it took until what, like sixty-five minutes or so before the um the Racing guys got a yellow card for like consistent offside was, you know, it, there seemed to, he seemed to be very much trying to let the game flow and trying to let running rugby rule, which was great from a spectator perspective, but would be atypical of how I've seen him ref games before. Well, if that's his style going forward, it looks like he'll be a very good ref going forward, or at least for the spectator. What do we take away from it? Like the, the scrum was pretty good. Murray, again, sublime at times, but just a poor game by his own standards. Like, he did make some good decisions. You know, he, he didn't faff with advantage near the halfway line in the second half. He was like, just get it into the corner. We need to be down there. You know, quick taps when needed, stuff like that. And I think the bench made an impact. So, I mean, Zebo coming on was good. Um, JJ Hanrahan did well when he came on. Uh, Marshall, you mentioned, he was he was strong as well. But again, you, you're playing someone who's already booking their flights to Bilbao, you know. Yeah, but those four changes at half at forty two minutes, just do that at forty minutes. If you're going to do it that early, do it at forty. Well, also, I mean, if you if you make that announcement in the team room at half time, then fine. Now your team can start prepping for a slightly different start to the second half. Exactly, but like I think traveling to a match of this magnitude the day beforehand isn't the best prep either. Like, there's a few things in um, the management side of things that Munster need to learn going forward. I think being there two days would have been a better call. Yeah, I think some of this has to, has to some of the criticism, I guess, and where we fell down in this game is probably leveled upstairs. I just think our attack right now looks, looks pretty unimaginative, except when we're kind of playing almost broken field rugby, like when Murray is taking those taps or on turnover. In which case, we look like the players individually have creativity, but our kind of pattern attack is, is pretty poor. Like, going forward, there is one more title on the line. Quarterfinal going ahead. What do you need to do? I think go back to playing our own game. Go back to doing what we're trying to do. And if other teams want to take us on on our terms and beat us, fine. Now, let us never speak of it again. Pretty much. Um, the Challenge Cup uh, finalists were sorted this weekend as well. You know, Cardiff beat Pau. Yeah, I was watching the highlights of the two of them and it looked like it was a pretty close game. Um, not much going on in the second half uh, compared to Gloucester-Newcastle where Gloucester put Newcastle to the sword and seemed to be a, a pretty clinical affair by all accounts. Yeah, like in the Cardiff match, three points scored in the second half. Snooze fest. I was, I was falling asleep at the highlights. <laughs> Yeah, Cardiff Gloucester in the final. So again, get your Pro 14 hat on and, and start cheering for the Blues. So that's all of the rugby this weekend. Um, moving on to our top performer and our clown of the round. Um, I think for the sake of my own dignity, I'm going to take top performer here. Um, Scott Vardy. He was everywhere. He carried ball um, as a monster. His line work was impeccable. He was uh, a machine tackling and rocking. There's such a powerful performance. And let it be remembered and let it be known that you didn't think he should have played. Thank you, Scott Fardy, for making me look like a clown. <laughs> and speaking of clowns... <laughs> Indeed. Our clown of the round, Porrick. Who have we gone for? The entire Munster team for that first 20 minutes. Like, three weeks in a row to start that slowly. And like, while Kings and Cheetahs weren't good enough to take advantage, 
Racing certainly were, and they certainly kept you out for the rest of the game. 20 minutes, we gave ourselves such a mountain to climb. And, you know, for that to be your exit from Europe is poor. Yeah, certainly not how we wanted it to end. All right, so that's all the rugby for this week. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday, April 26th, previewing the final ordinary round of the season. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, subscribe, spread the word, leave comments, ask questions. We'll get to everything. So until next time, goodbye and thank you for listening. Take care, everyone.